get started. Okay. This is It Happens Everywhere. Not while we're here. Uh, right. Let's. Um, let's. Let's. Should we just get into it? Let's do this shit. Let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's. let's. Right. So I am talking about Teresa Core or Nor. Depends on how you pronounce it. The last name is spelled K-N-O-R-R. So whether you pronounce the K or not, I don't know. And I say not. So Nor. Nor. Teresa Nor. Not That's control. what the stock cubes are. Right, but yeah, we're talking about her. <laughs> um, but forget that last name for now. At the moment, when she's born in 1946, her name is Teresa Cross. Oh, that's easier. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah, born in 1946 in Sacramento, California. Uh, youngest of two daughters, her mother, Swanee. What a name that is. Swanee. And Stealing it. Eh? Stealing it. <laughs> and cool name. Father, it is a cool name. And her father, James. Uh, not long after she was born, well, fuck that, in the late 50s, so it's like 15 years after she was born, um, her dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's and it forced him to leave his job. He developed depression and started to take out his frustrations and anger on his family. And Swanee was able to keep the family going for a while financially, but unfortunately she died of heart failure in 1961. And Teresa was extremely close with the mom and the death completely fucked her over. In 1962, uh, Teresa, who was now 16 years old, marries Clifford Sanders, a man five years older than her, who she met just five months before. She immediately drops out of high school and becomes pregnant. And their son, Howard Sanders, was born in July of 1963. But from the start, uh, their marriage, it was just argument after argument after argument after fight after fight. And Teresa was extremely possessive and often accused Clifford of cheating. In July 1964, Teresa reported to the police that Clifford had punched her in the face. Bad Clifford. Okay, pumpy brakes, pumpy brakes. <laughs> but as we've seen many times, and it feels like it's the same thing that happens every fucking story, she suddenly refuses to press charges and everything was dropped and forgotten about. Now, a day after Howard's first birthday, um, Teresa and Clifford had a massive argument as he spent the whole day at his friend's house rather than at his son's first birthday. Bad Clifford. During the argument, uh, Clifford says, fuck this, I'm leaving you. Obviously, this angered Teresa. So as he was walking out the door, Teresa picks up their rifle and shoots him in the back. Bad Teresa. <laughs> killing him instantly. Uh, she was arrested and charged with murder, which she pleaded not guilty, claiming it was a self-defence act. During the trial, Teresa was pregnant with her second father. Her second father? <laughs> wow, my eyes, my eyes skipped then. Totally skipped away. She wasn't pregnant with her second father. That is some skill that woman has. 
But no, she was pregnant with her second child. The father of that child was obviously who she killed. Clifford. Clifford. She claimed that she shot Clifford because he was a violent alcoholic and would physically abuse her. But several of Clifford's relatives testified in court. I'm not doing good today, am I? I'm on like the third paragraph and I fucked up about seven times. (laughs) I'll try again. Uh, Several of Clifford's relatives testified in court that Clifford was not violent or abusive. And the prosecution stated that Teresa killed Clifford maliciously and without without being provoked. Yeah, but it's not however, it's the one we... Yeah, Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. I I figured that I weren't going to try that, so... That's fine. We we understand what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a good job we don't put this out for the world to hear. I know, right? I know. (laughs) Like, right, idiots, wouldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, Teresa's own sister testified against her, saying that she was possessive and jealous and, quote, she would kill him before any other woman could have him. So surprisingly, she was acquitted of Clifford's murder in September 1964. And in March of 65, she gave birth to their second child, baby girl called Sheila Sanders. After the birth, uh, Teresa began drinking heavily and she regularly visited the American Legion Hall where she met Estelle Lee Thornsbury, a disabled United States Army veteran. Uh, So eventually they moved in together and later on she would often leave her two kids with him while she went out drinking. After a while, he called her out and asked where she went and stayed when she would disappear for days at a time. And he then found out that she was having an affair with his best friend. And the relationship ended pretty much there and then. So (laughs) not long after that one ended, Teresa then met United States Marine Robert Knorr. And again, not long after they got together, she was pregnant and they married in July 1966. So she doesn't wait around for marriage or pregnancy to happen. No. No. Suzanne Knorr was born September 1966, and they then went on to have three more kids together. William, born in 1967, Robert Jr., born in 1968, and Teresa, who they called Terry, uh, born in 1970. And with what seems to be a very recurring thing with Teresa, their marriage took a turn when she began accusing him of cheating. They were both known to be very volatile and often beat each other in the kids. So a loving family. It's fun. Yeah. It's a fun household to live in. And fed up with all the shit that was happening, Robert left Teresa in 1970 and was granted a divorce in 1971. He attempted to see his kids, but Teresa wouldn't allow him to see any of them. And then guess what? <laughs> she goes on to marry another two times, right? <laughs> I know, I know. In 1971, she marries railroad worker Ronald Pulliam. Uh, but that fell apart a year later when she yet again began leaving all the kids with him or she went out partying and drinking. And he was also convinced that she was having an affair. 
her next marriage was to Sacramento Union editor Chester Harris. They married in 76. Uh, but her, da- her <laughs> daughter, Susan, grew close to Chester, which made Teresa exceptionally jealous. She files for divorce just three months after their wedding. She reportedly... Again, how true this bit is, but apparently she found out that Chester enjoyed taking consensual nude photos of women. (laughs) Now, how true that part is, it could have just been something she made up to put the divorce through, but it could have been true. Uh, After this, Teresa became physically, verbally and psychologically abusive to all the kids. After the fourth divorce, her alcoholism and abuse behaviour increased. Fourth divorce, it's mental, isn't it? Goals. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, she became quick-tempered and a reclusive. She took out the home telephone and didn't let her kids have any visitors. And then due to money, her and four out of the five kids move into a two-bedroom apartment in Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, Howard, who's the eldest, he moved out just before the whole family moved to Sacramento. Uh, Now, according to neighbours, the apartment was disgusting and smelled of piss. Oh, They also stated that on the rare occasion they would see the kids, they always looked fearful and nervous and dishevelled and just not looked after pretty much. And apparently the Sacramento Child Welfare Authorities were notified of the abuse of the kids, but never took any action. Um, And apparently none of the officials have ever been able to discuss this and have said that records are destroyed after five years. So there's no records that they were ever reported anyway. Uh, And for years, the abuse and torture continued and just got worse and worse. So she would beat them, she would force feed them, burn them with cigarettes and throw knives at them. That is one loving mother. And and often she would force them to hold each other down so she could beat and torture them. Oh. Mm. And then one time she held a gun to her youngest daughter, Terry, uh, to her head and threatened to kill her. Now, Terry would have been about seven or eight years old. And she primarily focused the abuse on the older daughters, Susan and Sheila. (laughs) And Terry had stated in an interview before that her mother resented Susan and Sheila because they were maturing and growing up to be attractive young women while she was faced with growing old and losing her looks. Teresa also believed that Chet, the fourth husband, had turned Susan into a witch. So this meant that Susan received the worst of the abuse. After an extremely bad beating, uh, Susan decides to run away. But she was picked up by the police and placed in a psychiatric hospital. Here, she told the staff that that her mother was abusing her. And when... They got in touch with Teresa and brought her in. She denied all abuse claims and told the staff that Susan just had mental issues. Oh. And then the authorities said, oh, okay, no worries, and didn't investigate it any further. And they released Susan back into Teresa's custody. 
Hot notch work there. And then as a punishment for running away, and as she put it, lying about the abuse, uh, she beat the hell out of Susan while wearing a pair of leather gloves. And to make things worse, she then forced the other kids to take turns in beating her as well. Then for the next few weeks, uh, she had Susan handcuffed to the kitchen table and ordered the kids to take turns in watching over her, making sure she doesn't try to escape or eat anything. So she was unable to leave the house and she was forced to drop out of school. Teresa then pulled the other kids out of the school and most of the kids never got past eighth grade, which was about year nine in the UK. Uh, And then in 1982, Teresa was convinced that Susan was casting spells, which was causing her to gain weight. (laughs) Um, Susan obviously denied doing this, but it just angered Teresa even more. So she got out her 44 calibre and shot Susan in the back. But the bullet didn't exit her body. It got lodged in her back. And Teresa refused to take her to the hospital. So she put her in the family bathtub and left her for dead. Luckily, unluckily... Uh, Susan survived that and when Teresa went back into the bathroom and saw that she was still alive she began to nurse her back to health and allowed her daughters to help out and she eventually recovered but she still had this bullet lodged in her back a few years later Teresa and Susan had a big bust up a big argument again which led to Teresa stabbing Susan in the back with a pair of scissors She's really like good at this parenting stuff. Really good. Again, uh, Susan was refused medical treatment, so she was fixed up at home. And not long after, when she was back to health again, Susan, finally fed up with the abuse, decided she wants to move to Alaska. Oh. Get as far away as she can. <laughs> Teresa agreed to let her go, but with one condition. Susan had to allow her to remove the bullet that was lodged in her back so she couldn't use it as evidence if Susan ever decided to report the abuse. So it took her a few days, but she reluctantly agreed. Teresa gave her Melaril, which I googled, and it's an antipsychotic drug which has since been discontinued as it caused severe cardiac arrhythmias you know when your heart's going (laughs) Uh, and (laughs) I didn't know if I pronounced it right so I was like I'll do the sound and action for you (laughs) Um, and she was given liquor as an antiseptic no not as an antiseptic as an anaesthetic and this of course caused her to completely pass out but Teresa then ordered her 15 year old son Robert to remove the bullet with a kitchen knife. Susan finally woke up a day later, obviously in extreme pain. And over the next few days, she develops sepsis and becomes delirious. Teresa attempted to help her and fed her with ibuprofen and antibiotics, but none of this helped her and her condition declined very fast. So in July, Teresa decides to pack up all of Susan's things in trash bags She ties her arms and legs together 
you put duct tape over her mouth and ordered Robert and Will to put her in the back of the car. They then drove out to Squaw Valley. And this is like a three-hour drive from Sacramento. And it's like a ski resort in California, so it's all mountainy areas. Oh, okay. Um, When they got there, she then got Robert and Will to place her on the side of the road with her bags of things. And Teresa then doused Susan with gasoline and lit her on fire. Nice. Yep. Susan's still smouldering body was then found the next day. And an autopsy determined that she was still alive when she was lit on fire. But unfortunately, due to the state of her remains, they couldn't make a positive ID. So she was classified as Jane Doe number 4873 forward slash 84. Then back at home, Teresa decided to direct all of her anger and abuse towards her other daughter, Sheila. In 1985, she forces Sheila into prostitution to help support the family. Like, you know, you could have forced her into going to get her a job at McDonald's or something, but no, she... They pay like prostitution does, though. <laughs> I mean, apparently not. Apparently <laughs> not. I've never been there, but, you know, apparently not. Speaking from experience... <laughs> Yeah, are absolutely rolling in it from our OnlyFans account. <clears throat> um, Teresa was on benefits from the state of California, and with the amount of money that Sheila was bringing in, she was happy that she didn't have to do anything. And because of this, she allowed Sheila to leave the house and do what she wanted to do, as long as she kept up the prostitution and kept bringing the money in. Nice. Yeah. Then a few weeks later, Teresa accused Sheila of being pregnant. And Teresa also caught an STD, which she claimed she caught from Sheila via the toilet seat. Oh, yeah, that's how everyone gets their STDs. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sheila denies being pregnant or that she has an STD. So Teresa beats the shit out of her hog ties her and locks her in a hot closet with no ventilation. She tells the other kids not to give Sheila any food or water and to never open the door to this closet. Terry, the youngest daughter, uh, disobeyed the orders and decides to give Sheila a beer. And that's top-notch sister in that is. I mean, that is a good sister. I don't know why she decided on a beer, but maybe it's the only thing they had in the house. Um, But Terry reported uh, later on to the police that Teresa wanted Sheila to confess. Apparently that was mother's way. Beat them until they confess. And to end her torture, Sheila just decides to confess to being pregnant and to having an STD. But Teresa still wouldn't let her out because she didn't believe. Then Sheila died three days later on the 21st of July 1985 due to dehydration and starvation. And Teresa only found out that she died three days after that. So you can see how much she was even being checked on or anything like that. So, yet again, she orders William and Robert to get rid of Sheila's body, which had already begun to decompose and filled the apartment with a horrendous smell. Um. Yep. 
So they placed the body in a cardboard box and left it near an airport in Truckee, California, which is a two-hour drive from Sacramento. Um, so she was only found a few hours later after they dropped her off. But again, I'm assuming due to the amount of decomposition, they couldn't get a positive ID. And she was classified as Jane Doe number 6607 forward slash 85. Now, what scared the shit out of me when I was writing this, the difference in those numbers. So I'm just assuming that if the police find a body... Well, yeah, one on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll just get a number sequentially from the last one. So both sisters died within like a year and a month of each other. And there's almost a gap of 2,000 between each number. So that means within just about... 12, 13 months, 2,000 bodies of women were found with no ID. Like, that's fucking scary. Yeah. Back at the apartment, the smell of decomposition still hung around. And Teresa started to become concerned that the smell and physical evidence in the closet would lead the murder directly to her. So in September of 1986, the family moved out of the apartment and Teresa ordered Terry the youngest daughter, who was 16 at the time, to burn the apartment down. Oh. Yeah. That's the same thing to do, obviously. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, so she returns back at midnight, dumps three containers of gasoline in the apartment and sets it on fire. But luckily, the neighbours reported the fire quickly and the fire department managed to put it out before it did any damage. Uh, after leaving Sacramento... Teresa went into hiding and her kids, most of them who were at legal age, severed ties with the mom and scattered. But Terry, only being 16, uh, managed to escape by using Sheila's ID and pass off as an adult and she could get away. The only one to stay with Teresa was Robert Jr. He was 19 years old, so he was able to go, but he wanted to stay near mom. So they both moved to Vegas and attempted to keep a low profile. Oh, as you do when you're a murderous, child-beating whore. Yeah. In 1991, November, uh, Robert was arrested after shooting and killing a bartender during an attempted robbery. And he was sentenced 16 years in prison. Look how fucking hard is it just to not... Shoot people. Right. Yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> what the fuck? Probably, um, to be fair, though, he, he was probably given a gun for his fourth birthday. So That's true. Um, so as soon as he was sentenced, Teresa got the fuck out of there and she moves to Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, uh, that is full of Mormons. It is. Sorry, continue. Utah is Mormon Central. <laughs> apparently. It's not apparently. <laughs> it's just because of you saying about Donny Osmond being from Utah. 100% yeah. they're British. I, I refuse to believe anything. I've never heard them speak. They're the most American of American. Yeah, because they shot to fame when they were kids and then moved there. Moved where? To America. <laughs> You're going to rewrite their Wikipedia page? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't get me started because 
I've got a whole horde of things people don't agree with that I'm like, they're true. Just because you don't believe it, don't mean they're not true. Like Stanley is most definitely Chinese and everyone keeps telling me he's not. He's but he's Chinese. He's not. Just because he's a Look little man. No, he's not. Look at him. Look at him. I have. He's an old American man. Just like the Osmonds are an American family. Always have been, always will be. I'm going to continue the story now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so after Terry ran away um, during a few years, she married twice and eventually ended up in Sandy, Utah, where she lived with her second husband. And she worked in a grocery store. Now, Salt Lake City and Sandy um, are like literally on the same road, like a 20-minute drive away. It's like Birmingham to Bearwood on the Hagley Road kind of thing. It's just a little county. Now, how mental is it that they both have the whole of the USA to, to decide from, to move to, and they both move, her and her mother, to the same town? However, they both never bumped into each other, and apparently neither of them knew that they lived in the same town. With each other. Like, Terry had attempted to report the murders of both of her sisters to the Utah police, uh, but they never believed her. And she also attended therapy sessions where, again, she would try to tell her therapist what had happened, but even the therapist didn't believe what she was saying. So on October 20th, 1993, uh, Terry contacted uh, America's Most Wanted to get some advice on what she could do. And they told her to contact the detectives in Placer County, California. This is the county that Susan's body was found. Um, she phoned them up, told them everything. They started to believe her and they started to follow up with an investigation. The detectives managed to link the two cases of the Jane Doe's that were found in the area in 1984 and 85 with the details from Terry and concluded that she was telling the truth. So they managed to ID with who they actually are. In November 93, they located where William was. Uh, he was arrested in California where he was living and working a normal life. Robert, obviously, he was already serving 16 years in Vegas prison, was charged with the murders of his sister. And finally, Teresa was arrested at her home in Salt Lake City. Uh, she'd gone back to using her maiden name of Cross and was working as a caretaker for her landlord, landlords, landlord's 86-year-old mother. Then investigators uh, had a search warrant, and they went to the apartment in Sacramento, which was now occupied by other residents, and they was able to remove a stained subfloor in the closet where Sheila had died to test if the stains were from a human body and hopefully they would be used against Teresa in court. Uh, But yeah, they tested it and obviously came back positive. Teresa was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder and two special circumstances charges, which included multiple murder and murder by torture. She pleaded not guilty but then made a deal with the prosecution after hearing that her son, Robert, had agreed to testify against her for a reduced sentence. So she then pleads guilty, but on the condition that she spared the death penalty. 
and it's fucked up that October 1995, she was just sentenced to life sentences. And she's currently serving them at the California Institute for Women's in Chino, California. And she will be eligible for parole in 2027. So in just six short years, she can be out. Just to keep killing people. Apparently so. Uh, William was sentenced to probation in order to undergo therapy for participating in Susan's murder. Um, And in exchange for his testimony, the prosecution dropped all charges against Robert, apart from one count of being an accessory after the fact. Robert pleaded guilty to the charge and was sentenced just an extra three years on top of the 16 that he was currently serving. Uh, and unfortunately, Terry died in 2011 at the age of 41 due to heart failure. Mm. And that's it. The fucked up case of Teresa Nor. Well, that was interesting. Good. And here now, welcome to everyone's favourite segment, which is Florida Man. All right. Oh, you didn't mean it like that, but that was grand. Well, what you, did you mean then? No, like that, but just not as enthusiastic. But I like it. You can do that every week. I like it. Okay. Keep uh, it. Okay. I'll, okay. Try, I'll try and remember. Just um. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm quite partial when I do a Florida man to an animal theme. Yeah. So I'm sticking with that. Do it. Florida man charged with assault with a deadly weapon after throwing alligator through Wendy's drive through window. That's sad. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> the poor alligator. <laughs> um, so was the, de- the deadly weapon was the alligator? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck happened to the alligator? I'm Did guessing. catch him and... I'm guessing he had a few burgers. Oh, hopefully. Is that what they do at Wendy's, burgers? Yeah. I've never got a Wendy's. Wendy's is good. They do square burgers. Square burgers? Mm. Don't know why, but they're nice. Why want a square burger? Well, go to America and go to Wendy's and have a square burger. I will. Um, but yeah, my Florida man, it's not a headline... Okay, it's um, sort of a headline, but it's like a mini, mini, mini story. It's only like a yeah. two sentences, but I'm going to say it. So in 1948, <laughs> there's a photo of him as well. I'll show you in a second. A man wore 30 pound, three toed lead shoes and stomped around Florida beaches during the night. The footprints led people to believe that there was a 15-foot-tall penguin roaming their lands. He kept this prank up for 10 years, visiting various beaches, and the hoax wasn't revealed until 40 years later. (laughs) And look at him. He's so happy with himself. (laughs) That's banging. That's a good prank. I like that. I like a good prank. Right. Thank you all for joining again. Um, hope you enjoyed this one. Follow us on all the social medias. Hit us up on whenever you want. I can't bother to go through them all again. You know what they are. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Yeah. Hope you're all doing good. Hope it's going great. Hope you're having a good week. And Happy lockdown lifting. 
Whoop, whoop. Hell yeah. Hell and yeah. if you are in the UK, maybe by the time you're listening to this, depending on when we get it out, we're, we're hitting 20 degrees this week. For real? Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. I'm just, I can't wait. I've got my two pairs of sunglasses. I'm wearing them both. I thought Ooh. he was going to say I'm wearing a bow tie. Like, okay. Whatever flex you want to do. Both yeah. of them. Yeah, looking forward to that. That'll be good. And is it bank holiday this week and all? Yeah. Four day week. Yes. And then a couple of weeks <laughs> after that, we got beer garden booked. I think my, I'll get paid for this. I'm doing tomorrow and then I'm doing next Friday and I'll get paid for those around then. So pretty much I'm doing two extra shifts at double time to fund our drink. <laughs> Sweet. Right. We love you. (laughs) We will see you all again. Same time next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.